Hello, everybody. Welcome to Not So Random Trek Review. This week, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review recently completed Star Trek seasons. In this case, we are looking at Discovery Season 2. My name is Andrew, and I'll be co-hosting for this special bonus edition of RTR. I am joined by... And you know what, Matt? Normally, I would assign you something, but uh, since you're co-hosting this week... I'm going to let you choose. What do you want to be, Matt? Do you want to be a Red Angel, a uh, Ba'ul oil monster, a retcon Spock, an artificial control? Uh, what do you want to be? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I think maybe I'll go with one of those dudes on New Eden. or <laughs> You could be anything you want in the Star Trek universe, and you've decided to be like a villager in a small church town that is uh, light years away from the federation well that was the best part of the season so. oh okay well there's a little bit of interesting uh foreshadowing as to what you like tipping my hand a little bit a little bit and i guess you know before we introduce uh, this week i guess we should say that this is spoiler filled the season is over so if you haven't watched it go and grab yourself a uh, netflix account a cbs all access account a crave account whatever you watch it with in your uh, in your region because uh, this week we are talking Star Trek Discovery season two. It originally aired January seventeenth, uh, two thousand nineteen, all the way through to April eighteenth, two thousand nineteen. Although we annoyingly get it a day later in Canada, which is it leaves for a day of kind of spoiler avoiding. I found. Like not going on the internet at all. <laughs> yeah, basically. Not going on your phone, <laughs> not checking Instagram, because it seems that little things would kind of pop up. Uh, it guest starred Anson Mount as Captain Pike, Ethan Peck as Mr. Spock, uh, Michelle Yeoh as Giorgio, Tig Notaro as Jet Reno, Rebecca Romaine as uh, Number One, Alan Van Sprang as Leland, Rachel Anchirel as Non, and Sonia Soon as Gabrielle Burnham. The showrunner was Is Sonia Soong related to Eric Soong? Or maybe Noonien Soong. Maybe she is, uh, yeah, she could be Data's long... Well, actually, no, where are we here in in Soong lore? Because it's definitely after Eric Soong from Enterprise. Yeah, she would be a descendant of Eric Soong and like an ancestor of Noonien Soong. Yeah, interesting. But that's like the actress name. That's That's true. Today, so actually... (laughs) That's that's true. It's way, way ancestral. We're getting a little sidetracked here, but that's okay. <laughs> All right. Relevant. Let, Star Trek. That's true. So let's hit some synopsis here. Um, and uh, this episode, we're going to kind of break it up into chunks. We're going to look at the kind of five big major arcs, but um, this is kind of where we started off with. So en route to pick up their new captain at Vulcan to start off some exploration, meeting new civilizations, and some discovery, the USS Discovery is intercepted by the NCC-1701, the USS Enterprise. It's Captain Pike. There have been seven mysterious red signals that spontaneously appeared in the night sky with no regard for how light travels at different distances across space-time. Also, the Enterprise is badly damaged, and Captain Pike is going to take control of Discovery to investigate, as this is of the utmost of priority. For those of you excited to see a brother-sister family reunion between Spock and Michael, you'll need to wait. 
Spock has entered himself into an insane asylum, and he's been having nightmares recently about the seven signals before they even appeared. So, for the, like I mentioned, this special podcast, we're going to look more specifically at each pot section as we go. All right, so the first chunk we're going to uh, go at here is the um, the, the, little, the story arc with uh, Mr. Spock and how he's gone he's gone missing. Now he's we first we find out he's mentioned that he's in an insane asylum at the beginning of the season, and we later find out that he kills uh, a couple of security guards and escaped from uh, the asylum in a shuttle. Uh, Michael is finally able to track Spock down in the seventh episode. Uh, he was being hidden on Vulcan by his mother, Amanda Grayson. He's in a delirious state, and after discovering Spock is dyslexic, uh, Burnham takes him to Talos Four to have the Talosians show Michael what he is thinking. And we find out that Spock and Michael's rift was from a childhood spat where Mike Michael was uh, very mean to Mr. Spock. Well, I guess he'd be young Spock, not Mr. Spock. That's true. Child Spock. Child, child Spock, yes. Um, so I, the first thing for us to, to, to sort of go at with this is, um, did it take too long to find him? And was it satisfying when, when you know, they, Burnham was able to finally track him down? Uh, for me, it took too long. So he shows up in the seventh episode of a 14, uh, well... 13 episodes the second last episode was kind of split into a two-parter um so i mean it takes half the season to find him and then when she does find him he's in that kind of delirious state you don't really get any of the spockisms or any of the little intricacies that you're kind of like waiting for and so it's not really until it's almost another two episodes isn't it until you kind of really get spock with his mind being clear I feel like. So, I mean, for me, it took way too long. And I actually had this feeling. I remember messaging you at a certain point and saying that by the time he shows up, I don't even know if I'm going to care because <laughs> it had just been so long kind of teasing. And they even did a couple of things. Remember, Giorgio shows up in the shuttle. They find his shuttle, but then it's uh, Emperor Giorgio in it and stuff. So they, they kind of teased it and faked it out a couple of times. Um, so when they finally did find him, I don't really didn't really find it satisfying just because you're expecting to get you know Leonard Nimoy era Spock or at least Cage era Spock and you get this delirium version of him and so yeah it kind of rang slightly hollow what about you it took way too long my big issue with this whole thing is that they like they dragged it like as much as they possibly could like every episode previous to them actually finding him, they spend like at least five or ten minutes talking about it. Yeah. And they don't really actually do anything in a lot of those cases. They're just like, oh, let's sit and have our like weekly talk about Mr. Spock and where he is and what's going on. By the time they found him, I was just like, okay, great. Now they can stop talking about it and we can move on with the season. Like it was just ridiculous how long and how blatantly they dragged it out like when they when when they, was i satisfied when they found him i guess in the sense that like yes they'll finally <laughs> it stop over. talking about it like enough already we know he's missing just go find him well i guess they had to look for the red signals right so that was kind of the reason there's always like this this overarching concern that they had to look and find out what they were about and then 
Section 31 was looking for Spock, and he also knew about the red signals, so they thought maybe that would kind of unleash a clue. It, it just kind of... I, I had this feeling that... Uh, remember in the first season, they took that two-week break when they got to the Mirror Universe? Yeah. Um, there was kind of a little mid-season cliffhanger. I almost wondered whether they were going to do that. It was going to go up to season seven, or sorry, episode seven. They were going to find him, and then you were going to have a break, and then come back and see him after that. Did you think that was going to happen or no? Well, they I, they announced previously there was that there wasn't going to be a mid-season break. So, but when they were writing it, I mean, when they're wow, it's hard to say. I, I wouldn't put it past them. I mean. They've done a lot of other goofy things with this season. Why not just, like, throw a break in for no reason? Yeah, I mean, and I think that it's it's to drum up kind of talk and to drum up clicks and things like that, speculation. But, yeah, I mean, for me anyway, I just, yeah, by the time they found him, especially since there was all this kind of misinformation as well, because then they were wondering why he had killed them, and they Michael was refusing to talk about this horrible thing. That that happened as a child. That, that I, again, it almost like they talked about it so much that they couldn't really have done anything that really would have led up to Michael and Spock's relationship being frayed and have it be satisfying, unless she like beat him really badly or something. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, what kind of thing could happen to you as a kid that would hold resentment for years from a sibling for that long? You know what I mean. The whole Burnham Spock thing was just—it was so shoehorned in there. It just—it didn't make any sense, really. Like in this season, or just as a concept in Discovery? Well, in general, like it's never. I mean, I guess we went all the way till Star Trek Five to realize that he had a half brother. So I mean, I and this is a half sister. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's plausible, but it—I don't know—it just seems silly to me. Also, like Cybok is not really renowned for being like one of the best movies, or like that—that that particular. <laughs> Installment. Yes, yes, we're all trying to block Star Trek Five uh, from as <laughs> possible. So they use the uh, Talosians here, which we really only see in the cage previously. They're they're never they're not they don't appear any other place, and they're not really even mentioned other than well, I guess the menagerie where they sort of recap the cage. Um, now, would you sort of look at this as like a, an ingenious plot twist, or is this just sort of like? Let's just throw them in because the fans will love it. I think that this show does a ton of fan servicey things. It's uh, they leave a lot of little Easter eggs in like an empty apartment building. You know what I mean? Like it's not hard to see the Easter eggs when you're out searching for them because they're so in your face. Um, that being said, I kind of did like If Memory Serves, which is the Telosian episode. Uh, I have to think that it's maybe one of the better ones in the season. Like, it actually had kind of a rationale to it. And it makes a little bit of sense that Spock knew of these guys so that when, you know what I mean? Like, in the Menagerie, he goes there directly because he's had this connection to them and stuff like that. So that part of it I actually didn't mind. But it just screams of how limited a window Star Trek Discovery is putting it 10 years before TOS and so long after Enterprise there's not really a whole lot of crossover right like you got Harry Mudd the Telosians then you put Captain Pike in there well he was only in two episodes so there's not really much to like they squeezed that onion dry right like they did the wheelchair thing they did the Telosians they pretty much did as much as they could probably do with Pike from the material that they had without having to go to, like, books and comics and all the rest of it. When I first 
saw the Telosians were going to be in it, I really rolled my eyes because you're right. They do what I, I would describe the Easter eggs as being hidden in plain view. Right. Like if you had like a two year old and you wanted to do an Easter egg hunt, like you just leave them on the table and like uh, on them, the floor. You put them on a pile in the middle of the floor. <laughs> that's that's sort of how they the Easter eggs work in, in this show. I, I'm I, I guess I didn't mind it because it does kind of make sense that Spock would think, Okay, my mind is all messed up, like and I know that these are very powerful telepathic aliens that right. could probably help me, so I, I didn't mind that, and I actually like sort of how they what how they did the Tylosians as far as the look. I yeah, they, they were kind like of cool. slightly different, but still kind of the same. Yeah, so I mean that like that episode I didn't think was horrible in the season, and I didn't think it was a terrible way to go. So I, I mean, I was sort of like okay with it. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe my biggest problem with it is why did he go crazy? Like, what what was it that caused? this delirium like what was that what was the reason i i would have to go back and see if they provided one because i but just from your memory like so the red angel visited him as a child and so then he drew some pictures and stuff like that because obviously it was important but then why did he go like why did the seven signals like set him off like what was the reasoning i have no idea i'd have to go back and okay Do you think there is a reason, or do you think it was just kind of like we're just expected to buy it? I, I mean, I suppose it could be one or the other, but I, I kind of yeah. I remember them saying that like he the the experiencing all of oh no he mind melted with the red angel. That's what it was. Okay. As a kid, maybe. <laughs> so what he just couldn't like handle the like chaoticness of yeah um, the, the the rationale of of <laughs> well no I, I guess that red angel was the mother. Oh, so she must have like just a wild out of control I, mind. I get. Well, she had experienced nine like all these years and years of doing all this stuff, but that wouldn't really drive you crazy. It was. Uh, it was kind of odd. Would you say that this section of Spock's arc fit with the way Leonard Nimoy portrayed him, and or and or Zachary Quintos? Like, how would you like compare, and how does it fit? I mean, I know it doesn't fit because Star Trek 2009 is, they already have a Captain Pike and they already, and, and like Spock is already part of it and stuff like this. But this is a very good prequel to like the J.J. Abrams movies, I felt. Like if it wasn't for the fact that they have like that whole thing where they're at Starfleet Academy in 2009, that 2009 one. I actually kind of think that this would be a pretty good lead-in in in terms of, like, Captain Pike is a different actor, but, I mean, like, Spock, and he's got the beard, and he's kind of, like, he has a much different way of kind of delivering lines, and, like, even some of the things that he does and stuff is just not... I I don't get Leonard Nimoy from it, personally. I mean, I don't watch a ton of original series stuff, but, like, I can't really see this person turning into... um, the Leonard Nimoy Spock that we see. I mean, 10 years is a long time. You can grow a lot in that period, but I don't know. What do you think? Did, did one of them match up for you or not? I don't know. I feel like Leonard Nimoy is one of those guys that you just can't duplicate what he's what he did with Spock. I um, can sure try. <laughs> <laughs> like, for him, I just felt like it was, it was natural for the kind of person that Leonard Nimoy is. Mm-hmm. Um, cause like I never really felt like the emotionlessness or the logical 
thinking was ever really forced or like it didn't really seem like he was acting to me. It just seemed really natural. Whereas like Zachary Quintos, for example, I feel like there's like this sort of underlying intensity to how he tries to portray the emotionless Vulcan and the logical Vulcan that is just seems a little bit off to me. And I think... I think it's kind of unfair to judge Ethan Peck because we're dealing with a Spock that is very different from when we see Leonard Nimoy. Right. Um, but the thing that drove me nuts about Spock in this season is he's just, he's so snarky. Yeah. He's always making these, like, there's all those scenes where he was, like, you know, just grilling Burnham. Like, just, like, it was like he was trying to, like, get back at her for whatever it was that she did. Right. And it just seemed so off. Yeah, it's, it's some of his line deliveries, as they might be funny and things, but they come off very strangely. Like, there's that one where they're all talking about things, and he goes, yes, science is cool. And I think he's trying to do a deadpan, but it really came off, like, con- conceited or, like, condescending. Like, it was very... And the same thing, right? He's the, Wait, with Michael, you know, of course you would assume that it has something to do with you. You think the whole world revolves around... Like, those kind of lines that don't really kind of meld with what I would kind of say is Spock. But that being said, Leonard Nimoy was definitely somebody who, A, created the character, B, was, like, very, very, um, like, a part of the control of, like, I've read interviews with him that, you know, they were like, okay, then Spock will, like, shoot somebody. And he goes, like, no, that's not within his character. He should have, like, a pinch. That was, like, Leonard Nimoy's idea, right? Mm -hmm. And I always got the sense that, like, Leonard Nimoy really didn't care that he was, like, the second fiddle. Like, he didn't try to ever outshine Kirk, ever. He no. was always just playing the part. Whereas I feel like actors nowadays, like, especially with Zachary Quinto, like, they're trying to get their meal ticket, right? They're trying to make their dollars, too. So they're going to be trying to do something with the character, right? They want to, like, no actor wants a role where they go, okay, here's your character. You have no emotion. Like, that's a terrible role for an actor, right? Um, it might be challenging. It would be challenging, but by the same token, you don't have to use any range. You're just basically doing everything monotone, right? Like, everybody rips on Jolene Baylock from Enterprise, but she actually did, like, like the real, like, Vulcan way to do it, right? Where you yeah. just play everything deadpan. So, I don't know. For me, I thought that Ethan Peck was good, but it wasn't... I couldn't see a connection to Leonard Nimoy. He definitely had the sort of baritone voice for it. Yeah, definitely. I think that that was good. But yeah, there there was just something a little bit off, and I don't know, maybe it was partly the writing and partly just... I thought I read that he watched like like a dozen episodes, and that was it, when studying for this. So I think maybe there's some things that were missing that he might have been able to do better with if he watched... More than 12 episodes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how in, how deep you want to get into this, but, like, what what did you think of the look of Spock? I know that you were really upset with the uniform thing, um, but, like, give, just kind of, like, tell me about this look of Spock and whether you liked it or disliked it. He looked like a hipster. I thought he was <laughs> dumb. Like, why does... Like, okay, if he's, like, in an insane asylum and is, like, I can buy that, like, in that environment, maybe he would grow a beard just out of, like, the fact that he was, like, not able to shave. Yeah. But, like, like, why... Like, I don't understand why why he would have a beard and, like, why did he not wear a uniform until, like, the very last scene of the season? Do you think they were saving it for that? But Pike wore a uniform. He wore the Discovery uniform. They could have just put Spock in that. Well, exactly. And, and I, you know, people were all giving me the, like, oh, he's... 
he wasn't reinstated. And I was like, well, no, there was like a scene where he was absolved of all of the crimes that he was accused of. Right. And like, why would that not, what, like, why in that moment would he be like, no, I'm not going to be reinstated. I'm just going to stay on leave and hang out on this ship for And be in all of the senior meetings and have like... Going on away (laughs) missions and wearing like space suits. Like, come on. Like, like, it it doesn't make any sense. Maybe. Other than that, you know, leather robe that he was wearing looked pretty cool. But that's my problem is Spock is not a character that needs to be cool. He was never cool. I mean, he was cool in the sense that like after he had been around forever... People were like, wow, this is a really awesome character. Like, wow, they, he really went went for it and put it into it, right? But, like, I don't really think that Spock would ever care about being cool. He wore a friggin' headband in San Francisco for, like, you know, however many weeks that they were there trying to get those whales. Like, he's not wearing a leather bomber, like, and growing beards because they're hip and stuff. And, like, even Burnham calls him out on it. Like, do you think the beard is working for you? Like, it's... I don't know. There's just something about the feel of it. Like, it was just seemed unnecessary. They're trying to attract the, like, hipster crowd to the new Star Trek. I know, but then why don't you just say, you know what? This was, like, uh, Spock's great-great-great-grandchild, and it's the year, you know, 33rd century, and, uh, you know, just look for some episode where some girl is with him or what have you, and just say, like, it's a grandchild of Spock. There you go. It's the same thing. Yeah, well, we've we've had many conversations about the perils of uh, prequels versus why not just do it in the future. Right, exactly. I think you would have kind of, yeah, you would have avoided a lot of this talk, but yeah. I think Spock definitely trends on the needle when they had episodes with him. All right, so to wrap this up, yay or nay on missing Spock? Um, I would have been all for this if it was like two episodes. So the first episode, everybody was expecting him because he was in the trailer, I believe. And if he had, um, if, it, if it had just kind of been like one or two episodes and then they had found him on the third episode, I think it would have been a yay, but because it took so long. And then when we finally did get him, I didn't really feel like a lot of Spock vibes. I think I'm going to have to go nay. What about you? Well, I, I tend to feel the same way. This is something that's probably going to come up a lot. Like, this whole season, it seemed like there was way too many plot lines that were, like, intertwined and dragged on forever. And this was definitely probably the worst of them. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think if they had just... Maybe not even necessarily right at the beginning. Maybe the first couple episodes, they, like, sort of unravel the mystery of the Seven Signals. And then maybe they're like, all right, now that we know what's going on with those, let's go deal with, you know, Mr. Spock. Right. But again, but similarly, I think regardless, if they had just made like a two-part episode where they're like, you know, chasing after him and trying to find him, I think it would have been a way, way better. Uh, you know what? I would have been all for that. One episode where they were chasing him down, that would be great. I think that could have been good. Think of the crazy action scenes they could have done. <laughs> Ah, uh, Discovery doesn't really do action scenes, so I don't know if that would have been... That's not what, really its thing. What Discovery are you watching? <laughs> I just watched like the first minute and the last minute and then that's all there is. Um, yeah, you know, I think that uh, we best move on here to uh, kind of the next. I made this one into a major plot point, but I don't actually think that it. it's only really one episode. So Saru goes through a massive transition as a character when in episode six we visit his home world of Kaminar. We get a more clear look at the predator-prey relationship with the Ba'ul uh, as well as I learn that he goes through a tradition called the Vaharai, I want to call it. Vaharai. Vaharai, thank you. 
yeah. uh, that eventually leads to Kalpin's deaths. It turns out that it's actually a myth that's been imparted on them by the Bayul to flip the relationship, making the predators the prey and the prey the predators. Um, and it's actually more of a puberty where you lose all of your fear. So um, do you remember this episode? I'm assuming that you do. This yep. one was... Um, I think it's episode six, so it's right before, it's, believe it or not, it's actually before they find Spock is this episode, which is kind of hard for me to remember, but, um, you know, we have heard Saru's homeworld in the first season. We know he's like the only Kelpian in Starfleet and all the rest of it. Now, yeah. we actually did see it in one of the short treks, um, and yeah. you had seen that one. So, um, when you finally did get to Kaminar, was it meeting your expectations or not? Well, it looks suspiciously like the Scarborough Bluffs. <laughs> yeah, I know. We need to go down there one day and, like, snap some pictures of uh, Kaminar. Maybe, like, go out and pick some of those, like, seaweeds or something. Yeah, we'll go check out the, the Bluffs. Um, I I mean, I see, knowing that we, you know, having seen it in the short treks, I mean, it was pretty much the same. So I thought it was kind of a cool-looking, like, sort of primitive area like with these like with the kelpians that are sort of i guess we learn later on that they were sort of oppressed mm -hmm. um but then they also had those cool like high-tech like portal things that the bottle used to like keep an eye on them and i think eventually it wasn't that what they used to harvest them when they were it was time for them to, to die i think so yeah but this time we actually see the bottle as well so what did you think of when you actually saw them uh they looked a lot like armis Oh, from Skin of Evil. From Skin of Evil, yeah, that was what I was thinking when they we we actually see them. Um, I wasn't really that crazy about the whole like art, the Baul look. Mm -hmm. I felt like they went a little bit too far to make them look kind of menacing and evil. Yeah, I mean, would you think that was like a put on? Like, do you think that they actually do look like that, or do you think that was just a way of trying to scare them? Maybe that's an interesting question. I never thought of that. I assume that's just what they what they look like. Oh, okay. Um, I, I have to admit, I was very disappointed. Um, in season one, when they kind of brought up this idea that he's a species that is, you know, governed by fear. And it's because he comes from a planet where his species is like the deer of the planet. It's they've gained they've gained sentience and all the rest of it, but they are the prey species, and there is more sophisticated predator species. And I thought that was such a great idea, but I was actually expecting them to be in a relationship where if you stay out too late past curfew, like you'll get eaten, or like if you, um, you know, if you kind of get venture away too far from the town, you get eaten, or maybe the predators come in and like rager towns and, and like eat you when you're all done like it's actually a predator prey relationship so when we found out in the short trek that actually it's more of like a sacrificial kind of thing where you have to go and basically portal yourself up to your up to their ships and and they eat you i guess or they just kill you mm -hmm. i don't know there just there was something about it that just didn't really fit like i actually think that it would have been a little bit cooler if the baul was like not even really super sentient like they were more just kind of like monsters or something. They could have kept the same look, but like I kind of liked that idea. Or even if they were sentient because they ended up being more technologically advanced, that it left it like a little bit uncomfortable. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there's only one food supply, but it's also sentient. Like, do you think that that would have been a cooler idea or am I just kind of like hoping for something that didn't happen? Well, I, when they were describing 
it in season one. I kind of felt the same way that like they the the Kelpians were on their home planet. They lived in like you know small like packs or herds, and they were like right. constantly on the alert, looking around like, oh, is the are the, the bad guys coming to eat us? Like I thought that's sort of what I had envisioned as well. But yeah, it was definitely much different. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm, but not as not better. You know what I mean? Like for me, anyway, I thought the predator prey thing was such a cool idea, and then when I found out that there, this is actually the setup. It's like, why would you be a like? Why would you have that fear? You know what I mean? Like he's afraid and he's so skittish and stuff. But mm-hmm. why would you be like? There's nothing to be afraid of. Like you voluntarily go and sign up to be transported away. Like is it maybe like an evolutionary thing or something? I think it would be an evolutionary thing. I mean, it wasn't when they were like looking at that sphere data. wasn't It wasn't that the bowel been there for like like thousands of years. Yeah, so that's the whole thing, right? So when they look, the sphere has been apparently monitoring this planet and like tra- and like keeping like detailed Excel data on. <laughs> <laughs> the Baul, the Kelpians, and uh, the relationship. And then it turned out there was like a third thing, which is like an evolved Kelpian. And they used to be the predators, and the Baul was the prey. And that at some point, there was like some sort of flip. And it must have been because of technology or something like that. Did you like that? Or, I mean, we're going to talk about the sphere a bit later, but do you, does that kind of salvage it? Or does that kind of make it a bit more? I thought it was pretty ticky-tack. I sort of get the whole thing that they wanted to, like, dispel this whole fear thing from Saru, so his character would maybe be able to evolve beyond this, like, skittish, frightened, gangly-limbed alien. Mm -hmm. But, I don't know, is that really the best way to do it? I don't know. For me, I was so disappointed by it not being kind of this, like, you know, really out-of-the-box Star Trek thing. It also could have kind of brought up a whole moral thing, too. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, you know how some people don't eat pigs because they have, like, feelings and stuff? Like, it could have been maybe something similar to that, but mm-hmm. that's not what they did. Um, so does this make Saru a more or less interesting character? I think he's definitely much more interesting. Like, I oh, thought okay. he was a... I, I thought he was a horrible character in the first season. But oh, then assumed, okay. But then when all this... Like, I think he's probably one of the most interesting characters on the show now. Really? Okay, so that's interesting because I feel like a lot of people really loved Saru in the first season as well. But you didn't really find that whole fear thing interesting? Not really. He was, like, afraid of everything. Yeah, but how cool was it in the trailer when he, like, said that death was imminent? Oh, it was so dumb. <laughs> so, it was so silly. Like, he can sense the coming of death. Like, what does that even mean? I think it's just, like, a spidey sense. Like, he just can tell when something's going to attack. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you know how sometimes, like, when you're home alone and you can, like, feel like uh, like somebody's watching you or, like, the... <laughs> hairs on the back of your neck stand up it's like that times a hundred like isn't that kind of what it is i guess but i mean i thought that the way he was able to sort of evolve as a character beyond that because he he changed quite subtly but quite drastically by the end right Mm -hmm. and i thought that made him much more interesting because it's like okay we've already established that he's this like frightened creature but now that that is gone like what is he going to become yeah how is he going to like grow as a character because of that yeah i do like that so to me that makes it much more interesting because if he's still got that perpetual fear like is he really going to change that much right this is like a puberty thing right you have the the ganglion thing when you're young 
and you're kind of, you're afraid of everything, you're skittish like a baby bird or baby whatever, right? Because you're very vulnerable. But then once it comes off, then you are basically like an adult version. But the interesting thing to me is that if the Kelpians evolve into kind of this like upper thing and they were the predators, maybe he will become like very aggressive and maybe he will be like very fearless in the future. Wouldn't it be interesting though if that happened? Like, how does that impact everyone else on the ship? Definitely, right? And he's like, if you remember from the first season, remember there's that one episode where he can run like 80 miles an hour or something and he has like super strength. He ripped off those like bindings in the Bible ship and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's now, you know, it's, this is kind of embarrassing as a Trek fan, but um, when they started mentioning the Ba'ul and the, oh no, the Ba'ul comes with it, I thought they were talking about the Baku, remember from uh, Star Trek... Uh, <laughs> Uh, insurrection. insurrection I was thinking like oh those what are those Baku guys doing here like are they going to show up and they haven't aged and like uh, they're churning butter and uh, <laughs> keeping the Kelpians under wrap and all this but no it's the Baul it's different man the Baku they rule those Kelpians with an iron fist yeah. you, know, you wouldn't expect it but it happens true uh, so just kind of last thing on Saru did uh, were you surprised when the ganglion fell off number one did you think he was going to die were they going to write this character off like game of thrones style i mean they have killed other characters and they've come back so it was pretty emotional michael was crying and everything so really michael was crying in this season that's shocking <laughs> this was the first of many cries the first yeah okay yeah you're right first of many did i think he was going to die no because He's an actual. They actually attempted to develop his character prior to the episode, so therefore there was no chance he was going to. <laughs> okay, good point. Good point. Um, you know what? I there was a little pang where I was wondering because you don't know, right? Like maybe the actor doesn't want to come back or what have you. And I was like, oh, I, I'm wondering if maybe they're going to potentially just write him off here and he's going to die and they were they definitely built the tension well with that episode like i will say that of the of the 14 episodes that one it definitely was was different it definitely stood out more than some of the other ones so um for that point i think that yeah it had me for a second so i think that uh it it was pretty good they almost got you almost got me Okay, so the next little chunk that we're going to go after here is uh, the, a bit early on in the season where Tilly experiences these strange hallucinations of a, uh, a, young, uh, a young lady that she knew as a child, but that she later found out, uh, according to the Starfleet records, was actually dead. Uh, then later on, they discovered that uh, this, this hallucination was actually uh, a physical representation of the small microbe creatures that live in the mycelial network. Uh, apparently the discovery using it as a conduit to jump was uh, like wreaking havoc on their environment and, and killing them. And if that wasn't bad enough, there was also a monster that was living in there and also, you know, wreaking havoc and causing all kinds of problems. And then we learned that that monster is in fact Hugh Culber. Luckily, uh, luckily they're able to save him using a uh, mycelial version of the transporter to bring him back into normal space. You following all that, Andrew? That's a little um, uh, complicated. It's a it's a little bit complicated. And you know, it's it's funny actually because I watched this episode with somebody who hadn't really watched a ton of Trek before, um, and I was trying to kind of catch them up with the storylines to because I knew I'd seen the trailer, so I knew what it was going to be about. So I was tr explaining that. 
there was an alien there was a you know there's a human person but they actually looked like a klingon person because they like did plastic surgery and then they killed like the doctor and the doctor was gay and he was with the engineer and there's also like this uh interverse where the ship travels through so it can go anywhere and it there's like there's things that live in it and now they're like showing up as a person but now that that person that was killed because they were killed near it like it's I start. I just stopped eventually. It was like, yeah, you might just need to watch it. Like, there's so many things going on. It's like kind of crazy. Maybe I'm just not good at explaining things, but um, no, this it's is kind pretty of, zany. No, it's it's not kind of crazy. It's it, insanely crazy. <laughs> okay, so it's not just me. No, it's not just you. It, there's um, a lot of strange things going on here that it's very difficult to make any sense of. And you do need a little bit of the season one stuff to re- know what's going on. That helps, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise you'd be like, who is this guy? It, well, yeah, there would be a lot of unanswered questions if you didn't watch season one. Right. Yeah, it was it was a little, uh, a little out there. But uh, this whole mycelial spore drive thing is um, way, way out there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess we can get to it, but um, I mean, it kind of... It infests itself, or not infests, but like it, it shows up as this May character that only yep. Tilly sees. Um, and I guess if you remember in the first season, there was like that green speck. Remember, it falls like on her shoulder. Um, so that was May, I guess. It's sure. like in her brain. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how. It, it, I think that's what you're supposed to believe. Yes. Okay, so well, tell me about May and Tilly's relationship. Did you like it? Not like it? What's the scoop? Um, I dislike just about anything to do with Tilly, um, as I'm sure you are well aware, and anyone who listened to our uh, Short Treks preview podcast several months ago, um, I think she's the most annoying character we've ever seen. So, um, <laughs> What about Naomi Wildman? Well, she would give Naomi Wildman a run for her money, and you know, that would be, that would be a... That would be a close race um, that would probably go right to the finish line. but. Um... <laughs> and once there was a transporter accident, Neelix and Commander Tuvok got mixed together to make a completely <laughs> different person. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have a lot of time for either of those <laughs> May was, like, not much better. No, she was annoying. But I think purposely. Maybe. Uh, I mean, if that's what they were going for, this really annoying, kind of giddy character, then... Yeah, that was that was pretty well done, I guess. I mean, I guess she was and she was like re she was incarnated by like Tilly's brain, right? So I feel like that kind of maybe is the reason. The choice to bring to like manifest itself as someone from like her distant memory was kind of an odd choice, I thought. I guess to make it a little bit like like surprising like who is this person and remember she looks her up and she's dead and all this kind of stuff and i guess it's just kind of like maybe the spore landed on the shoulder then it went to like the deep recesses of her mind or something i don't know maybe here's a fun question when did you think that when when did it cross your mind that she was a hallucination um remember when they're doing like the race or they're running there's like a scene where like Maybe the most improbable thing that they did on the season. Tilly is running a race around the saucer section of the Discovery. And then she stops while, like, three people that are in, like, way better shape and are way faster 
continue to run. She stops, has like a three-minute conversation with May. And then she goes, I'm out of here, May. Like, leave me alone. And then she catches up to the other people that are like jacked and have been running that entire time. Passes them and wins the race. So that's really- <laughs> That was maybe that's maybe more unrealistic than the mycelial network. <laughs> maybe yeah, that's I forgot about that. Yeah, that's right. I feel like it was maybe like halfway or two thirds through the episode. I can't remember the exact moment, but like it wasn't. I didn't. It wasn't a surprise to me by when we finally got to the end and realized that oh my god, she's dead. She died years ago. I was like, oh really? That's not surprising. Yeah, remember this is around the same time too. They have that giant asteroid in the cargo bay, and Tilly is like working on it uh, after hours, and she gets concussed when she's like thrown across the yeah. the cargo bay, and she like bangs into all those like containers. Yeah. So it could have been also maybe like concussion. She should be like on the dark room treatment, but she's just out running and stuff. So <laughs> maybe that's I kind of thought maybe that's what it was. Like after she took that bad spill, maybe she was like I don't know. The culmination of this plot uh plot thread was bringing back Dr. Culber. Um do you think that was like always in the plans or do you think that that was maybe pandering to the fans a little bit? Uh, for me, I think that it's just kind of listening to the fan base. Um, I think that Wilson Cruz is like a big actor as well. So I think that he was probably a good get in season one. And I think that I have this feeling that in season one, they were like, you know, it's going to be dark and it's going to be gritty and we're going to like kill characters like it's Game of Thrones or Walking Dead. Like you don't know who's going to be safe. Because if you remember, they just pointlessly like broke his neck for no reason in the first season. Like remember, it's Ash Tyler. He just like grabs him and breaks his neck. And then everybody was like, we hate this. Like this isn't good. This is not Star Trek. This is like you had one interesting character that well and we didn't really know anything about him but like i think a lot of people liked that there was like a gay couple and that 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 was kind of like something we hadn't really seen and they were like living together and and all the rest of it and we saw and we saw like little glimpses of what people wanted to see and then they pointlessly killed them and i think that when the showrunners switched over um between season one and season two they were like that was just a mistake like this is not star trek is not all about killing off characters and um you know kind of pointlessly getting rid of people before they're even really developed in you know what i mean mm-hmm. like you could argue like um tasha yar denise crosby just didn't want to be on the show so they wrote her off um jedzia dax uh you know she had six seasons and then you know there was contract problems or whatever the case may be they wrote her off so I, those ones i can i can forgive um you know wesley crusher he left and came back and stuff like that but like in almost all the shows, it's pretty much like the same seven to nine people that make up the crew. And I kind of feel like having one where it's like, you don't know if they're going to live or die. Like, that doesn't work for me for Star Trek. I like knowing these are the people. I would say Dax's uh, death was pretty sudden. Yeah, I never really loved Dax's death, to be honest with you. It was kind of... No, I didn't either. <laughs> Um, but again, it was, it was kind of like something that was external to the show. It's not like they wrote that in as part of it. And the same thing with Jennifer Lean and Voyager. I think Mm, like she, it wasn't really working. And so they were like, you know, write her out. They thought she was a very boring and uninteresting character. And so they were just like, okay, um, 
See you later. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I I think that Seven of Nine is a better character than Kess. So, I mean, I'm not really opposed to that one. But okay, other than those ones that we mentioned, like when did they ever really kind of write a character, leave them around, and then just kill them? And it was always the plan in Star Trek. Mm, they don't generally do that. No, so that was my feeling. What do you feel? I, I don't know if that was like something that they planned ahead of time. I don't think it was just because it was such a half-baked story to get him to bring him back i thought it was really it didn't really make a lot of sense to me like well how did he get into the network oh because he was near it i guess when he died uh, I don't know. or his being his spirit or something i don't know it was very it was very it was very out there but doesn't that make you think that it was after the fact like they had to come up with an idea they were like throwing baloney at the wall and they were like, well, that sticks. Like he was in the network <laughs> and he's been there for like, I don't know, like Discovery is so strange because like how, like this whole season seems like, what is it, like a week? Like two weeks maybe? Or is it it's, months? Is it years? I don't yeah, even know. It was, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think they maybe realized that they got rid of someone a little too hastily. and they Yeah, before just, we really learned anything about them. Yeah, and they just decided... Well, we need to bring him back, so we'll just make up some nonsense related to the Mycelial <laughs> Network, which is also nonsense, and then we'll just, that'll be it. Right. Okay. So, well, you know what? Um, that being said, are you happy to have him back? Like, what has he done to provoke being happy or not happy about it? He's just there. I know. I think that they didn't really do much once he came back. He did have that big scrap in the meth hall. Oh, yeah. Him and Tyler had a little throwdown. I don't know, man. If you kill me... And then somehow, like, through, like, microfungal spores, I come back. I'm definitely going to do more than just, like, punch you and be, like, and give you, like, the stare down. <laughs> Don't you think? Like, if somebody kills you and you have to live in this, like, fungal land where, you, like, all this crud gets attached to you and it burns your skin for months on end. When you come back and you, would that be, like, what you do? I guess I would definitely want to... I'm just thinking of how ridiculous that whole scene was. Well, that's what I mean. Like, it doesn't like, really Like, fit. these two guys are getting into, like, a intense brawl, and Saru's just like, no, no. Just let him fight it out. Let him fight it <laughs> out, guys. Just don't... No, no, no. Just World just... star! I saw that on somebody's post. Like, what? Like, what? like that's just silly. Like, why would silly. he just let them, like, why would he just, like, like, it's not like he's, like, letting them fight. He's, like, actually holding people back. <laughs> Preventing oh, them like, from. Come on, guys, let them fight. Yeah, like, if one of them had just pulled out, like, a knife and killed one of the others, what would Saru have said? Like, well, you know, <laughs> prison rules. Yeah, it was, that whole scene was just a little bit silly. Uh, so that begs, so, so, you know, since we're talking about bringing someone back from the dead, that, of course, begs the question... Does anyone stay dead on Discovery? Um, uh, so there's, I could come up with one. Do you know the one that I'm thinking of? Um, shoot, what was their name? Um, you can just describe them if you want. The security chief from right. like the early, early season. Yeah, um, with Landry. Landry. Yeah, it was like uh, uh, Lorca's number one. Yeah, she was also on uh, Battlestar Galactica. Oh, okay. So that's how I right connected it. So it's really great that they killed that character off instantly. I was a little disappointed. Yeah, I think I remember reading the actress herself was like kind of when they read it, they were like, "Oh, well, that sucks." 
But um, so I mean, oh, that's why they only offered me two episodes. <laughs> yeah, season. I know. I was wondering why my check was so low, but that's the reason. <laughs> yeah, she was killed by like the tardigrade. Yes, violently and uh, brutally. Right. Um, so, I mean, in terms of the list of people who have died and come back, what are what is the list? So, Giorgio killed and came back as the mirror version, right? Mm-hmm. I guess Vok, he was killed and came back as Ash Tyler. Yeah. Uh, Hugh Culber, he was killed in by Ash Tyler and he came back through the mycelial network. Yeah. Um, Lorca died, but they always kind of hinted the fact that there was maybe a prime era Lorca lurking yeah, around. Yeah, regular universe Lorca. But that hasn't happened yet, so Lorca, I guess, stayed dead. He's, like, there... he's like tied up in a closet somewhere while yeah. he Lorca when on a rampage. Yeah, he could like, <laughs> he might show back up, who knows. Um, is there anybody else that died and came back? Uh, not yet. I mean, Arium died, but she could still come she back. She could still come back, yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, so it's not that it... It's not that they don't stay dead, I suppose. It's just that I think sometimes maybe they're writing these death scenes to be kind of shock value, but then not really wanting to lose the character. But Star Trek forever has kind of played with the idea of like high tense scenes where, oh no, Riker, he's going to be done for, but you know that he's not, you know, they write a, write a reason for him to survive it or what have you. So uh, do you like this kind of writing or would you prefer them just to kind of go back to the old style? Well, I, I really wish they would just stop screwing up and killing good characters, right? Like, right. like they killed Giorgio in the first episode. The first episode, they get <laughs> no, this no. amazing actor that they're all excited about, and they're like, "Oh, we're gonna make this awesome character. She's gonna be a captain." They kill her in the first in the pilot and eat her. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's nonsense. It's 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 ludicrous. The thing why that do you yeah, do that? Why that are you was gonna, like, why are you gonna create these awesome characters that everyone's gonna love, and then you kill them? I guess because it's gonna be shocking. But the, for me, anyway, is like. If it was like, okay, you know what, Michelle Yeoh is way too expensive to get. You know, she's like too good of an actress and she can only do like two episodes. Then fine, yeah, kill her. But then she's been around forever. She's like, in like she's every, been every episode. episode. It's ridiculous. It's silly. They could have just kept Captain Giorgio and I think that people would have loved her. But then the, the problem with having Captain Giorgio is, is then how can Michael Burnham be the main character? Because Michelle Yeoh is going to command like a presence right and she even did in the pilots right like she was a by the books starfleet captain which i think people liked and i think that people liked that it was uh familiar in that sense and then the mirror version is kind of i don't know she's kind of gone through her own kind of weird arc to get where she's at right now but i don't think it's as good as the original prime georgia if they're going to give her her own show after the second season, mm. like, why are they killing her after the first step in the first episode? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, unfortunately. It doesn't make any sense. And then, you know, bringing her back via the Mirror Universe. And, like, the way that she was brought back, like, she's ready to just, like, sit there and she's like, let them come. I don't care if they, like, if I get shot a hundred times by all these guys coming to get me. And then freaking Burnham <laughs> just, like, turns around and gives her a bear hug. Yeah. Like, no, Burnham, who has, like, no relationship with this mirror universe Giorgio, feels like some, like, nonsensical compulsion to save her. No, I know. I, but again, I think it's because it's the different... It's, it's This was not all, like, planned out, right? It was well, yeah, it's, writing on the fly. It was writing by the seat of your pants, which I don't think really goes... 
very well when you're trying to write a serialized show. Yeah, maybe this maybe would have been better as single episodes because then if something like that happened, you'd be like, eh, well, whatever, you can let it go. But when it's serialized, it kind of all have to connect. Now they find out that the that when they're they're jumping using the spore drive, they're they're doing serious damage to the environment within the mycelial network. And like, would you not think that they might consider not using it when they figured that out? Yeah, they kind of bring it. They kind of subtly mention that when like even like the ship kind of halfway gets stuck in that one episode, the same episode we're talking about. Um, and they mention that it's killing all of the things that live there, but nobody cares. Like, it's never mentioned again. Like, they mentioned that, like, like I don't even know. The, the whole spore jumping thing, to me anyway, it just seemed like such an afterthought. Like, it was such a big part of the first season. And this season, I think, I feel like they, they like, war, they just were using, like, the regular warp drive. But then there was, like, that one episode at the end when they go to Sahia. And they like they spore jump there, and they don't do the whole thing where he gets locked into it and stuff. Like, it's again, it's almost like they set up this whole spore drive thing in the first season, and then people were like, "Oh, we don't like that. That's stupid. Nobody has the spore drive in the future." And they were like, "Oh, yeah, definitely." So then it seemed like this was when they were going to write it out. Like, you know, you, if you're jumping around through these mycelial networks, you're going to ruin all the people that live there. But then that wasn't it. Like, it was almost like a like a fake-out. Like, we're going to get rid of it. No, we're not, actually. We're going to save it. Well, do you remember that episode where they used it? There was that scene where Culver, I think it was, like, went to Stamets after. And he was like, oh, were you all right after the jump? And he looked, like, gave him this funny look like, oh, yeah, that, I'm fine. Yeah, like, what was, was the no, point of that? Like, it was no big deal that he just, like, used this mycelial network that apparently was, like, frying his brain in season one. And Yeah. Like, no, no big deal. So, I don't know. For me, anyway, I thought that was just like a loose thread that they never tied off. And was kind of stupid because Star Trek has done this a million times. Where they come across some sort of, you know, sentient life that it would be convenient to use their resources. But you can't because it affects them too much. So, I really kind of dislike that part. Uh, now, quickly, um, when, when, he, when Culver comes back... You know, there's that whole thing with him and Stamets, and he's, you know, like, I don't know who I am anymore. And they have their big, like, you know, lovers quarrel, I guess. And he ends up moving out. Um, did, did you think that this was maybe a missed opportunity, or did, you, did that kind of make sense to you, that he would be kind of out of his right mind? I thought that it was an interesting idea, but they didn't really give it enough time to breathe, for me anyway. Because it's a, it's a great idea, right? If you were like basically killed and then like rebuilt cell for cell you wouldn't feel the same you would be kind of different and we've seen this in old trek where somebody like harry kim dies and they just bring him back or like an alternator or something and uh you know you never really get to experience it by the next week they're just back to being normal you know so i think that like, this is the kind of show where you could really do a deep dive on something like that and really kind of feel like, what what's that like? What's that situation? But they they only really get a handful of scenes. Like, there's a couple of scenes where they talk. There's kind of like the breakup scene, which I thought was pretty good. And then there's like that weird scene where Giorgio comes in and tells them about how, like, they used to have, like, orgies in the mirror universe and stuff. It was, like, so bizarre. <laughs> Uh, but that's it. Like, that's all we kind of get of it. And then there's a little bit, like, at the end where um, Culber tells Stam, it's like, you know what, I'm going to come back. Like, we're going to be together. Like, 
So that part was okay, I guess. But again, it just seems like it's not... You're not getting... In, like, there's so much wasted time for a show that goes warp 10 that, like, this is something <laughs> you could take a bit more time with and then they don't. Like, that kind of is frustrating to me. What about you? Yeah, I thought maybe they could have done almost, like, a whole episode on this. Cause I thought it was kind of neat that they sort of... When he was resurrected, I guess you could say... That he was sort of not in his right mind and not sort of in the right place. Um, it's sort of a far cry from... you remember that episode where they, the, the O'Brien from like an hour in the future ends up coming back on right. Space Nine? And the only thing we really see is he's like sitting in Quark's and he like leans over. He's like, hey, Quark, Dabo. And then the guy like right away like wins <laughs> and like sort of like winks at him and just walks out and that's it. Yeah. And then next week he's back to normal. So. Right. I thought it was kind of interesting that they maybe went to this place where he's, you know, Culber is, you know, he's not the same person that he was before. And I mean, wasn't he supposed to have like been trapped in that mycelial thing for like, like an extended period of time? I don't know. I don't really love the time on Discovery. It seems like when they're warping between places, they can just do it like instantaneously. It's really hard to tell how long they've been traveling how long they've been looking for something how long they've been on a planet i think all the other shows did a much better job of having somebody just mention it like it it just seems like they move at plot speed not warp speed you know what i mean (laughs) and uh i think that like i don't know how long has it been like has it been two weeks since he died it could be or it could be two months it could be two years i have no idea yeah it's yeah it's true the the, there isn't really a lot of concrete uh indications of passage of time on the show and i mean i guess part of that's because like the spore drive can just jump wherever it wants to go but like a lot of times they're warp speed but then they just and then like characters show up and they live across the galaxy and they don't have spore drive well yeah sarah and amanda grayson (laughs) just like waltzed in on the eve of battle like like did they just conveniently happen to be there or what like that was just totally bizarre yeah, I don't know. And I guess, is Zahia right next to Vulcan, maybe? But then they said they had no communications. I know. The spore drive is such a terrible idea because with the spore drive, the, then it just solves every problem, right? Mm-hmm. Because think about it. They, they actually mentioned that the spore drive has no ship-to-ship communications, right? That's the reason why when Section 31 is coming and attack them, it's only going to be the Enterprise and the Discovery, like at the end of the episode, right? You have the spore drive. Just spore jump to Earth. Like, send a shuttle down and say, hey, guys, at Zahia, there's going to be, like, this huge fleet of bad guys. Send all the ships there. And then Spore drive back. Right? Like, that's the problem, <laughs> is that there's no rhyme or reason to... But, see, that's when they would step in and be like, oh, but we'll be destroying the mycelial network, right? Because it's... But they jumped around all the whole season, right? I know. Like, it's just... that That's the problem. Like, like... Um, I remember reading that uh, the transporter in Next Generation was something that the writers, like, hated... Because there's so many times where it's like, well, just re- just replicate it, like whatever the whatever the problem is, just replicate it, and that that's like such a hard thing to write to when you have something that can just like move anything anywhere and replicate anything. So I think that um, yeah, I mean, I guess you're not really supposed to kind of get too blown up in these things, right? So. Sure. All right. Um, You know what? We have talked long enough about the mycelial network for me. So let's move on to, I guess, let's call it the biggest arc, maybe, of the whole season. The biggest mystery, which is the Red Angel. So 
The Red Angel is a season-long MacGuffin that the crew of the Discovery is chasing. It appears every couple of episodes and drives the story along. It starts out seemingly randomly, but then becomes more and more clear as the show goes on. Firstly, it appears over the USS Bawapa, secondly over the village of New Eden, thirdly Kaminar, fourthly Boreth, and fifthly Zahia. So um, this is the big reveal. I think that um, when we finally did get to the episode called The Red Angel, it was episode 10 of 14. So um, I guess my question to you is that we get this huge build-up. It's bigger than the Spock. It's bigger than everything. The Red Angel. Who's it going to be? We finally get to it. It's Michael's mom. So tell me about um, the Red Angel, Michael's mom. What did you think? Um, I was disappointed that it wasn't uh, who I thought it would be. (laughs) It's true. You thought it was going to be Jean-Luc Picard. I wrote a a crazy blog about uh, how it might be Captain Picard. It definitely wasn't. It definitely was. I don't think that Patrick Stewart would be on Star Trek Discovery. Well, if, if if he had been, that would have been like the best keeping something like that under wraps True. of all time. True. Now, everybody thought that it was going to be Michael Burnham, but it ended up being her mom. So did that like throw you for a loop? Did it get you? I definitely didn't expect it. Um, I don't know if I thought it was really particularly good, but... Whatever. It, it happened. Different. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was kind of nice that they did throw a total curveball, because I don't think there were a lot of people out there that thought, oh yeah, it'll be uh, Michael Burns' mother. Uh, I was definitely surprised. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I can probably throw shade on Discovery as much as anybody, but like the thing is, is when... When we got to the end and it was Michael Burnham's mom, I 100% admit I was surprised. So that was nice. I definitely liked that part of it. Um, But the problem I have is is kind of this now new problem of you have two Red Angels. Because you know that it was actually Michael at the end, like at the very end of season two, Such Sweet Sorrow. It's actually Michael. They make a new suit. And she goes... In like 12 seconds. Yeah, they like five, They do like a 3D print it. And they put the time crystal in it. And so Michael Burnham is the, re, is the person who made the seven signals. Yep. But then... So why, why doesn't Michael Burnham's mom make a red signal when she jumps? That's a very good question. Because they said that she's been jumping constantly, right? Yeah, didn't you say she jumped like 800 times? Or yeah, something? so shouldn't we have seen these numbers? signals before? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how the, the silly thing works. Yeah, but so, well, that's unfortunate because my next point is I was going to get you to explain to me an open time loop because Michael tells Spock it's an open time loop and she can't go forward because they're stuck in an open time loop. And so she needs to go back in time to do each of the five symbols at the time in order to be able to get all the pieces needed in order to get to all the things so explain this to me please here's the thing i'm actually reading a book about physics right now okay Um, it's called physics well it's called the science of interstellar okay um but i'm not far enough through it that i think i can even begin to explain uh how this works oh okay not too bad (laughs) we should should have waited till you had finished it perhaps no it's a pretty hefty book it may take me a little while to get through it but uh I, I mean, I mean, I guess time, time is always a, something that's kind of tricky to conceptualize. True. Um, 
in a show like Star Trek, I mean, I guess the best way to put it is at the end of the episode when she was like, why can't I jump to the future? The other things had not happened yet from like her perspective in that moment. Okay. So she had to go back to do them and then she can go to the future and have all the things that she needs but like I guess that's it, it, I guess it's not hard to conceptualize, but it's hard to articulate. Like I right. can picture it in my mind, like how that makes sense. But, but like it's very difficult. The, so words. so like the first place that they go to is USS Bowthoa. Bowthoa. Yeah. Okay. Because they needed to get Jet Reno, who's like a super engineer. Yes. Correct. So the first time that this occurred, they were going through the timeline. Control came about. They got to a section when they had the time crystal and everything else. Well, no, they couldn't have gotten the time crystal. But they must have gotten themselves to a point where, like, control takes over. And then Michael would have realized, we need an engineer. So how would she know where to go and when to go to get this person who is stranded on the ship that's, that's stuck in an asteroid field? Like, did she just do it a million times until eventually she found one where there was, a like, a, a brilliant engineer? Because uh, that's what the mother was doing, but that's not what Michael was doing. Michael already knew them all. Or yeah. was the engineer thing the original Red Angel, Michael Burnham's mom? Like, she had done it so many times that she knew that this was the scenario See, that, needed to be cons- that needed to be done. That I actually kind of maybe like a bit more. Well, now we're getting into paradoxes, and that's even worse. <laughs> but no, think of it this way. So if... They've gone, Michael Burnham's mom has gone through it so many times, right? And she knows that it doesn't work. So now she's created this like bread trail. Okay, first they have to go get this person because she's tried a million different engineers, but Jet Reno's the only one. Then they got to go to Kaminar because then Saru's got to lose the ganglion thing. And then they got to go to Borath to get the time crystals. Then they got to go to New Eden to find out where they need to like jump to. And so she originally went. But then Michael gets to the section where she is and she goes back and redoes all of the ones the mother did so that the mother doesn't have to come back in the first place. Well, then there, but then we have the issue of the signals. Like, we, do we know that the mother is able to leave them or not? Well, I don't know. And that's kind of the one thing I didn't really love. So Michael Burnham uses the sixth signal to direct the discovery through the wormhole. Yeah. And then she uses the seventh signal to tell Spock and Pike that she's okay. Yes. But they all showed up at the same time originally. And then they re-show up later? Oh, that's what it is. The, the seven original ones was the mother. And then when they show up the second time, it was Michael coming back. I don't know. I'm so confused. Uh, are we supposed to even care about this? Or are we just supposed to be like, signals? <laughs> I, maybe we're we're maybe they're not giving the fans quite enough credit. Dealing with time, time travel is tough, even for good writers. <laughs> so when you have bad writers, it's even worse. So you know what? Fair enough. I mean, we could probably spend an entire podcast just talking about this, and we could probably melt our brains doing it. But um, was this a good arc to hang the season on? Yes or no? I would say, has there really been a good extended time travel episode? In Star Trek history? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I kind of liked Voyage Home. Is that considered an extended one? Well... 
I mean, I it's really like a single show. story, though, right? Like you're not building a whole season on this whole time travel thing. Okay, true enough. What about like um, I don't know, like Time Zero? That's a good one. Yeah, like what I'm trying to get at is like if you have like a single story that involves like one time jump, like going back once mm-hmm. or going forward once and then coming back, like I find those tend to work okay because they're not hard to wrap your mind around. But this one, like people are going 900 years in the future, they're coming back. They're, right. like it's, there's so much. Like again, it's it's like the whole series really. There's just too much going on. They've got they've like made it way too complicated for yeah. this, for themselves to write and for you to like really understand if you really try to it, figure yeah. out what's going on. It's true. If you start trying to explain this to somebody so that they can watch like the fifth episode or the eighth episode like as a standalone episode, huh, good luck. No chance. Like it <laughs> is just, you just sound like a crazy person and they're looking at you like you have three heads. So, um I definitely agree. I mean, I think that it was it was definitely as much as I feel like there's problems, I actually think that maybe it was not a terrible idea. This is way better than Mirror Universe. Would you agree with that? I don't, I don't like know. the Mirror Universe. I don't though. know. Well, I think they spent way too much, like, far too long in the Mirror Universe. Right. So, I mean, did they spend too long doing the Red Angel stuff? Yes. Yeah, that's maybe the problem. Maybe they should have found, maybe they should have got to the future, like, in the seventh episode. That would have been kind of cool. Well, they just, they made it too complicated. Yeah. Like, with all these jumps and people, like, two different angels jumping from different times and places. Like, it's just, it's too much. But at the end of the day, so now we, we've seen the art. We know what happens. So, basically, they have done all this jumping. They've done all this stuff. The Discovery is now in the future. Spock and Pike are in the Enterprise. They're spending off, like... Is this... I mean, they had to come up with something, right? Like, I don't think that a ton of people were super happy with season one. I don't think people were super happy with this, like, time period. They had to get out of it. It was kind of like a sinking ship. This is what they came up with. And when you look at it from that point of view, it's it's okay. Depending on how long the series goes, I guess you can almost give the first two seasons as a mulligan based on what other Star Trek series have turned out to be. True. That, so, that's what I'll give them. I'll give them two, two and a half seasons, but that's it. Because, like, Voyager, Next Generation, Enterprise, they were all good. Deep Space Nine, they were all, like, getting to their feeler skin by the time they got to season three. Like, there's not yeah. any that went five seasons that were terrible. They wouldn't have made it that far, right? Yeah. So I feel like this is this is kind of the, the training wheels are now off. They're going to get this future arc. It's going to be, there's going to be no canon stuff that's going to be messing with it. There's going to be no, uh, you know, where are all past characters and stuff like that. It's going to be completely fresh slate. They can do whatever they want, whatever story they can dream up. And I feel like they can do whatever tech they want. That was the other problem, right? They'd like use all this pointless, like, we're not doing holograms anymore because the AI is too dangerous. Like, it was just so patchwork fixing up stuff that people hated in the first season. Gee, maybe they should have just started the series from here and they would have avoided all these <laughs> they, problems. Yeah, they really, what they should have done, they said, oh, we have so many fans on the cat on the writing team. They should have just went and asked actual fans at like a con. Like people that are dressed up like Andorians and Vulcans and people who spend like 30% of their take-home salary buying merchandise and stuff and said, hey, what do you guys want? Do you want like a series 10 years before Kirk? Oh, no? You don't want holograms and like 
fancy sets and lens flares. Okay, perfect. We won't do that. That's what they should have done, but they didn't, so. All right, the last little bit of uh, plot uh, stuff we'll uh, deal with here is, of course, the Section 31 slash control uh, aspect of the season. Uh, now, the main villain for the season was uh, this artificial intelligence uh, called Control, who um, eventually, which was like an artificial intelligence that eventually sort of took over the body of uh, Leland, who is uh, the leader of Section 31, and uh, took control of the fleet, which apparently back in these days, Section 31 has an entire fleet of ships, which is a little surprising, but... Um, uh, they spend the season growing in power and attempting to take control of the Discovery's data banks, which hold thousands of years' worth of uh, history and knowledge that they acquired from a giant uh, space creature early on in the season. And then it is said that uh, in the future, they, uh, in about you know, 900 years, they'll wipe out all sentient life in the galaxy. And uh, sort of in the climax of the uh, big season finale, they were... Defeated, or are they? I sure hope they are, because this had to be the most pandery, worst, cheesiest, lamest part of the the season. Any time that Section Thirty One was like involved or mentioned or talked about or this control thing, it was just awful. That's what I thought. What'd you think? Uh, I, I thought the artificial intelligence aspect with it was kind of cool, but all this Section 31 stuff was just pure nonsense. Like, yeah. there's supposed to be this, like, deep, super secret, like, nobody knows that they exist, organization, clandestine, covert, whatever, whatever words you want to use. Like, they're super secret, or that, at least that's how they're portrayed in every other era of Star Trek. But here... They have their own badges. They have, like, fleets of ships. You know, so I, I don't really love Section 31. I thought that the Section 31 stuff in uh, Deep Space Nine was pretty bad. I didn't really like it that much. In Enterprise, it was pretty bad. Um, I think that this... I don't know what, what it is with Discovery, but they love going to the worst parts of Trek for me. The Mirror Universe hated it. They go a whole season on it. Section 31 hated it. They do a whole season on it. Like, I don't get their obsession with these kind of, like, smaller things. Like, um, like you mentioned, they're supposed to be kind of this covert thing. They're, they're like that in Enterprise, 100 years before this. So between then and now, they gr grow their own, like, branch of the military. They get their own ships, their own stuff. They have, like, tech that nobody else has or knows about. Like, Tyler has, like, the touch, you know what I mean? Like, the touch communicator and stuff like that they have a cloaking device and they can like make themselves look like a asteroid but then and everyone knows who they are and everyone knows who they are like tyler walks in with the special badge and they're like oh. section 31 <laughs> oh my god but then in the future they're not going to exist anymore they're going to be back to the original what they were like it's just so forced like yeah why bother and it's not good like it's not like it's so good that it was worth it they could have been Section 58. Nobody would care. <laughs> like, it's just, it's not good. And, like, no. the whole reason they had those black badges in Discovery, I thought, was because they had the super secretive spore drive. Remember? That's why they had the black alert, and that was when you went to spore drive jumps. Well, didn't they have, like, guards in the first season yeah. of Section 31? Why, Because, like, well, I don't know, to guard the technology. Okay. 
I thought that's what that was, was all sport. about. And black alert, that was spore jumps, right? Yeah. Okay, but then what, so they, why have they, already, they already have their own ships, and they're all the same, and they're all like, I don't know. I really didn't like this part of it. I thought that it was so cheesy and so bad. Mm, yeah, it was not very good. Did we, okay, let's let's deal with this Borg stuff. There was a lot of speculation that they were going to turn out to somehow be like the origin of the Borg. Mm-hmm. Were you glad that they stayed away from that, at least for now? I was so glad that they stayed away from that. They are like the dollar store Borg ripoff. Like, they are so bad. They even have like that one line in um, in one of the episodes where Leland's like, struggle is pointless. And I was just, oh no. Because they have a device that can jump anywhere in the galaxy, right? So is it going to be that they accidentally jump to the Delta Quadrant and make the Borg in the future or something like that? Um Oh, I was so thankful that it wasn't the case. And I think there's been so much negative backlash about it that maybe they were going to do something in season three. It was going to be the Borg, the creation or whatever. But it's had so much negative talk about it that I'm almost certain that they're just going to say, scrap, it's done. I hope so. This oh, was, yeah. This was not very good. Yeah, like, like, how do they even have ships, period, if they're supposed to be this, like, covert operation but again i think it comes back to the one of the problems that they wrote in they wrote themselves into by doing it in this point because i remember in the original series they mentioned that there's only like a handful of oh there's like a thousand starfleet ships or something crazy like that Mm -hmm. right and so like where were all these section 31 guys in the klingon war that was like two weeks ago like were (laughs) they fighting in that or are they like all cloaked as uh asteroids like I don't know, like, there's just something about that that is so, I don't know, it's just so forced. And I mean, like, I think that the Borg were perfect in Next Generation because it was, like, right at the cusp of kind of computers and people really didn't know much about them. They were so afraid of it, right? Even, like, if you go back to the original series, remember the ultimate computer, the guy who um, had, like, the computer that was super smart and then eventually, like, you know, caused all this havoc and everything like that. But this is not like what... AI you should be afraid of. You know what I mean? Like, AI is an actually scary thing. Like, you know, just the fact that it's getting to a point now where it's, like, so advanced that it could actually cause problems with data breaches and hacks and all that kind of stuff. But they made it into the most cartoony possible thing. They downloaded it into a guy who, like, melts into nanite bots. Yeah, I just hated all this. Anyway, you talk for a bit because I feel like I'm just ripping on it. Well, it was not very, uh, like, I, I did like that they introduced the idea of artificial intelligence, because that's kind of a relevant topic in today's world, mm-hmm. but the way that they did it was just horrible. Yeah. Like, they, he was like the, he looked like the Terminator, you know? <laughs> yeah, he looked like the T-1000. T- 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 yeah, like, there were, like, all, all that was missing was for him to, like, take a phaser blast to the face for, like, the hole to, like form in his face and then like reform into his They face. literally did that. Like Remember that was... the guy that got shot in the guts and he had the hole in him? Like it was almost the same thing. Oh yeah, that guy that they brought back for no reason other than like, oh, that's the guy from the Mirror Universe and from the Shenjo. Yeah, I know. That's what it was for, right? Like... Remember like, remember how they had that like little flashback to remind everybody? <laughs> well, yeah, because if you hadn't watched the first season, you'd be like, who is this guy? Why do I care? Even if you didn't watch the first season, you were like, who is this guy again? Yeah. And they had to, like, show you that, like, flashback. Because he was just, like, a one-off character that was in, like, like two scenes. Yeah, I know, but Michael's like, oh, I remember you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Of course she did. 
Yeah, I, I just think I'm that... I'm surprised she didn't, like, start crying because she, like, she was reunited <laughs> with her, like, long-lost shipmate. Yeah, I mean, that could have been a good scene. Everybody loves that range. <laughs> and that's kind of the thing with Michael is that, like, she she has kind of just given up on the whole, like, half-Vulcan thing, I guess. But why? Like, it's never really... Well, no, she, I think she just gave up on trying to be Vulcan. But, like, she's but just why? a human person, though. Oh, so she's gone, like, her whole life being a Vulcan and one day's... Ah. I don't know. I think she just kind of realized that. I just, like, I just miss crying so much, so I'm just going to do it every yeah, week. Yeah, like, yeah, just, like, there's just too much emotion around, and it's just, like, <laughs> I don't know. You don't get to have as good a range and stuff, so screw screw that. Like, just be human. Okay, well, that, that makes things much more clear. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Is it not true? Like, at least with Paul, they kind of wrote in she had that disease... Remember mm-hmm. where, like, she, she it was actually, like, a Vulcan disease where you start to, like, lose your ability to, like, uh, suppress your emotions and stuff? Yeah, yeah. In this, they just were like, yeah, that's kind of, it's really hurting Sonequa Martin-Green's, like, acting range, so <laughs> just stop doing it. And we have to make up for it, so she's going to go on, like, a sob <laughs> yeah. every episode. In this exactly. Uh, anyway, anything else that you have to say about Control or Section 31? Just that it was dumb. Oh, okay. So you thought the same as me, basically. Pretty much. I was not overly impressed with how they did that. No. How about the big final battle in the last episode, though? What, with Giorgio and Leland? With Giorgio and Leland, but also, like, the big ship fights. Oh, it was like Star Wars Episode Two all over again. Yeah. Do you like <laughs> that? Or is, is that what you want more of, less of, or it's just right? Okay, here's what I want to know. Apparently, in these days, every starship has, like, squadrons of those little, like, fighter pod things that mm-hmm. I assume are just, like, drones. Mm-hmm. Where the hell do they keep them? In the shuttle bay. How big is the shuttle bay? <laughs> like, they had squadrons of them. Like, on this, there was a scene when, like, the Discovery was like, oh, the third squadron's been disabled. We better launch the fourth squadron. Like, they have, like, what, hundreds of these things, like, just in their shuttle bay? No, those those were, like, the those little balls from the beginning thing. They just, like, put weapons on them. Like, remember when Pike and uh, Burnham and they all go down to the Biwatha and they were in, like, those little balls? Yeah. And they were, like, that's what those were, but they had lasers on them. So they have, like, dozens of those just, like, sitting around waiting? No, there's actually a line, like, uh, Rebecca Romaine actually says at one point that, like, they they knew they were going to be in a fight, so they, like, stopped off and got more. <laughs> for, for those of you who, who can't see, I just did the, like, largest eye roll of my life. <laughs> like, <laughs> did you strain, like, one of your ocular muscles? Uh, I can't no. actually see out of my left eye right now. <laughs> no, I know, because they just, they wanted it to be like Star Wars, because Star Wars don't, they don't have, they have capital ships, but they also have the fighters, remember? The X-Wings oh, yeah. and the Y-Wings that's, and stuff. That's why I said it reminded, the battle reminded me of Star Wars Episode Two. Yeah, so that's why you just still didn't answer the question. Did you like this? Do you want more of this kind of stuff? Less of it? Or is it just right? Like the really busy action? Like just huge action ship? scenes. Uh, give me like like three ships against like five ships. See, to me, this was the most pointless, drawn-out, overkill battle that I've ever seen in almost anything. And I didn't think that... It didn't really look like anything. Like, it almost... If, if you had told me, like, actually, those guys, they just put, like, a bunch of, like, paint, you know, and they just drew, like, red dashes, and then they just flashed them really quickly, I would have believed it. Like, it was the most... And it went on forever. Like, it was almost oh, yeah. the entire season finale was just a big battle 
Yeah. And it was completely pointless. And this is not what Star Trek is. Star Trek is about, like, do you remember in Wrath of Khan when they were, like, fighting in the nebula and they were just, like, slowly, like, gliding and there was more tension in, like, three laser blasts than the eight billion laser blasts that happened in this? Yeah. Um, yeah. I want way less of this, man. I want so much less of this. It's not even funny. Like, people that are, like, drooling over, uh, like, oh, look at the action. I feel like you can go on YouTube and find, like, people. This is what they do. They just put, like, a million laser shots. Like, it's pointless. Like, do you really care about a million tiny uh, digital balls, like, shooting lasers at a million other tiny digital balls? Like, just go play a video game. Yeah, it's, it's just too much. It makes it's no sense either. Like, like, they've never done that again. In the history of Star Trek, nobody's ever done. You know what? When we had all those balls geared up with all the laser guns, like, let's do that again. They've never done it again. Just this one battle. It was, like, way too long, and it was... All it was was just, like, phaser blasts and explosions. And people getting rocked by the... Times the a, shields last forever, I guess. Times, a, like, a million. Yeah. And there's, like, that scene where, like, Tilly goes into the Jeffries tube, and she's like... I once like hooked up the shields like while I was drink as a drinking game. So she like closes her eyes and then hooks up the shields, and then like that gives them like eighty percent. Like why wouldn't you put that conduit like right on the bridge so that you could just hook it back up like whenever it blows? You know, like it was just silliness. Yeah, that whole thing was terrible. I and I don't like those little short lasers because Star Trek is always long phaser blasts, right? Short lasers was like what Star Wars did. Yep. Like, when did Star Trek ever do those short lasers other than the Defiant, which was the quantum torpedoes, not late, not phasers? Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, in fairness, when the Enterprise was shooting its phasers, it was like the solid blue beam. I don't know if you noticed that. I did like that, but it was the only one that was shooting a solid <laughs> one. Everyone else had the short Star Wars. Yeah, well... Like, next season, what are they going to do? They're going to go to, a, like, a desert planet and pick up, like, an orphaned guy who has, like, a like a laser sword and he's going to have to fight his dad in a mechanical suit. Like, it's Star Trek. People are watching it because it's Star Trek. They don't want Star Wars in replace of Star Trek. They use the mycelial network to jump to a galaxy far, 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 far away. away. And a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, well, they can do that, too, because they have time crystals. That's exactly right. Can you imagine? That could be a good little comic book. Uh, a mix-up. Discovery jumps to the Galactic Empire and has to fight a fleet of Star Destroyers. Yeah, I don't know. Would a phaser do even damage a Star Destroyer? That's for another time. That's for another podcast. We'll and luckily they could fight the X-Wings and TIE Fighters because they have those balls with the guns on them. <laughs> All right, folks, it is the time of the episode where we typically look at the cast and characters. Because we're doing the whole season, we kind of have to switch it up here. Um, and there's so many kind of storylines and characters and things like that. So basically what we're going to do is we're just going to go shot for shot. I'm going to name a character, and then you can say a little piece about them, and you're just going to say love them or hate them. And I mean, obviously, if they fall in the middle, you'll have to kind of... Uh, Choose one side or the other, uh, and I'm going to keep a little running tally, and I'm just going to see at the end uh, which ones we loved, which one we hated. So, um, casting characters, uh, Matt, uh, love them, hate them. The first one is Michael Burnham. No, I'm not a big fan of Michael Burnham. I just find her to be 
not very interesting and very inconsistent and um she had way too many crying scenes in this episode in this <laughs> so that's a hate him um yes <laughs> all right um i found michael at times to just be insufferable um i think that this is a great example of why it's not the best idea to center a show around a non-captain character it's a great idea but it's so hard to do because everybody is just going to be kind of geared towards the captain. And when it's not the captain, you're just kind of breaking orders or you're kind of not following the ranks and stuff like that. And it just drives people crazy, especially people like me that are very like command structure is important. So I'm unfortunately going to have to go with a hate him. Next up, Captain Pike. Um, I didn't mind Pike. I don't think we really had a lot of previous material to go on, so it's kind of hard to assess how well they portrayed him. I really like Anson Mount, even though I thought some of the writing for Pike was kind of weak. Uh, I thought Pike was pretty good, so I'll go with a love him. Okay, I'm going to echo that as well. I think I'm going to go with a love him for Pike as well. As much as everybody, like, there's a lot of fan drive to do like a Captain Pike series. I think that this is enough of it for me. I think that it's just too limited of uh, a kind of a window. Like we had to do the wheelchair thing. We had to do the Telosians thing. Like they had to kind of milk out all the Pike stuff from what accounts to what three episodes of the original series. So um, for me, I think I'm happy with Pike. I thought that Anson Mount was great. Um, there's kind of a little bit too much where he gets undermined, especially by Michael Burnham, which I hated. But... Um, that being said, uh, I think that it was all right. Okay, Spock. Uh, this incarnation of Spock was um, too snarky and too much of a hipster and looked kind of goofy, so I'm going to go hate him. Okay, I think that, uh, you know what, I thought that it took too long to find him, and when we did find him, it wasn't Leonard Nimoy enough for me personally. Hate him. Uh, okay, next up, Saru. Uh, if this was season one, I would have said hate him, but uh, I thought that he became much more interesting when that perpetual fear was sort of lifted from him. And so I think that he became much more interesting. And I think that of all the regulars, I think he's the one that I find to be the most interesting going forward. Um, so I will go with love him. Okay, I'm I'm kind of on the fence with Saru. I felt like that episode, he his episode, let's call it with the camera thing, was pretty good. He's definitely interesting, but he kind of just goes away in the second half of the season. So I think that that kind of hurts him. But you know what? He did kind of give us one of the best little stories with that one episode. So I'm going to give him a lot as well. We're tit for tat here, Matt. We're going to have to get... Once we get into some of the, the deeper ones. So Stamets. Uh, I've never really liked Stamets. I find he's just cranky guy who hates his job. <laughs> I don't really find that all that interesting. And okay. I don't really find his constant griping and groaning to be all that entertaining. So it's a hate him? I hate him. All right. I don't think he really did much this season either. Like He kind of spends a lot of time mulling about being sad about Culburn stuff, which I thought could have been good, but didn't really end up amounting to as much as I'd hoped. So, yeah, I think, unfortunately, I'm going to go hate him too. Uh, all right, uh, the last, uh, I guess this is still main character, Ash Tyler, and I threw in Laurel as well, because I thought that they're basically kind of a package deal. They have the, their two episodes are kind of then linked together. What did you think of Ash Tyler? I don't really like Ash Tyler that much. I find him very uninteresting. 
Yeah, I kind of agree. Like, he's kind of one of these characters that, like, you think should be cool. He looks cool. He's got the long hair. He's got, like, this Klingon inside of him, and he can speak Klingon and stuff. But, like, actually, we didn't even really mention that episode, the one where they have the baby, and the baby ends up growing old at Boreth because of the time crystals. Yeah, did you like that or not like that? No, I didn't. The whole time crystal thing was so dumb. Well, I guess they needed a reason how you're going to get in the future. Yeah, but I don't know. They, they didn't even try, though. They were just like, oh, I'm just going to just use these crystals. Yeah, and put it in a suit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I guess the thing, too, with Ash Tyler is, is like, he had, isn't he, like, thrown out of the Klingon Kai Council? But then he shows up at the end, and he's, like, with the Chancellor. Well, yeah, there's a little bit of an inconsistency there, to put it mildly. Yeah, okay. A couple more hates to the pile. Uh, all right, Tilly. Um, I think you already know this. I <laughs> yeah, you wrote it down before I even said anything. <laughs> very annoying, very irritating. I cannot I cannot handle Tilly. See, I feel like this is the flip. If it was Tilly season one, I would have said love. I was actually a big Tilly supporter on the uh, Runaways podcast where we talked about uh, that episode that she had done for the short tracks. Um, I, I just think that they went too far this time. She just went so overkill that it was like way too way 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 too far and she kind of is like a bit of a know-it-all like she's an ensign but she still seems to always be like at the front of the pack for um like decisions and like senior staff stuff like she's not even she's just like recently graduated yet she somehow is like in there because she's like with the cool kids so i think unfortunately i have to go with you as well hate okay culber uh hi i'm very indifferent with culber i don't really feel strongly one way or the other you got to decide. Love or hate? Hate? I don't know. I, I, <laughs> Maybe we should have you used know what? I'm more gonna, neutral I, words. I'm going to say hate just because they brought him back from the dead for no reason. <laughs> okay, reason enough. Um, you know what? I think that there is some interesting things that could come about. And so I was kind of soured that they, they took him away in the first time. So I'm going to give him a love him because I think that it's a good actor. And I think that there's room for something to happen in the future. I know that's really tentative but i feel like i'm giving too many hates in a row so i'm gonna go with love them um okay sarek actually you know what let's join them together sarek and amanda joint grew i don't mind sarek in discovery right i mean i, I don't really feel much about amanda grace i guess i'll go love them just by okay. fact but by virtue of the fact that they haven't completely ruined those characters that are already existing Okay. You know what? It's sad because I think I love James Frain. He's the guy who plays Sarek. He's in a show that I watch called Gotham. He plays uh, like the mayor in one of the seasons. And I really love him on that show, but I hate Sarek on this. I actually never liked Sarek in the original series. I don't even, like, I think I might be one of the only people, like, Sarek, when he shows back up in, like, Next Generation, even that, I was like, oh, just get this guy out of here. I'm so sick of him. So I'm going to go with Hatem. Um, I also just think that, like, he's just, like, he plays, like, the bad father. Like, you know what I mean? He's, like, the deadbeat dad. He kind of, like, shows up and apologizes at, at one point. But, like, it's, I don't know. I just never really liked it. Uh, okay, Non. Here's what I'll say about Non. I, I, you know, she's a Barzan and mm-hmm. has those, like, breathing things. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And those are actually accurate because there's a Barzan previously portrayed in The Next Generation who also had similar kind of breathing things. Okay, that's cool. And the makeup was, like, pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. So, by virtue of the fact that they didn't screw that up, I, Nan is a pretty generic character as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But, by virtue of the fact that they didn't screw that up, um, I will give Nan a 
Love them. Okay, good. You know what? I'm going to go with a love them as well for not. I think that, again, it's another character where it's a lot of interesting. She was the one who, like, pulled the handle to kill Arium when Burnham was, like, too busy crying and stuff. <laughs> um I think that uh, Non is a character that, again, could be like a future good security personnel. The different species we haven't seen a ton of. They didn't mess that up. So, yeah, Non gets to love them. Okay, Arium, speaking of Arium. I thought Arium was like severely misused. She was just like some nobody in the background that was like cyborg or part cyborg. And then they're like, Oh, we have to kill this character, and we need to make people care, so we'll just try to make her interesting in, like, the, like 30 minutes before we're going to kill her. So I'm going to just go with that. hate him for that. Yeah, I think that they didn't earn this one. That was a character that everybody said in the season one, like, who's that character in the background? What's she about? All that stuff. And they were like, well, you know, it turns out that she like, has an uh, injury that she can't, like, store memories, so she has to, like, upload them to a computer and stuff like that, which is, like, a great idea. It's, a per- it's an awesome idea. And that character's dead, so what a waste. Hate him. Uh, Giorgio. Uh, I'm not a big fan of this creepy, weird mirror universe, Giorgio. Hate him? Hate him. I love Captain Giorgio. I love Michelle Yeoh. If you go back to like her early stuff, like uh, Hong Kong cinema and stuff, I absolutely love Michelle Yeoh, but this character is just so pointless. And flippy floppy between like being evil and like kind of like making comments and stuff versus being good sometimes and doing good things. And there's like that weird scene where uh, she tells Pike, like, I'm from the Mirror Universe. And he's like, what Mirror Universe? And then like does like the big like wink, like... It's almost like they're laughing at how stupid all this stuff is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I just think they should never have gotten rid of the original uh, Georgia. Uh, Leland. Uh, I thought he was like the embodiment of a really terrible plot idea for this season. So I will go with Tatum. Yeah, I already kind of went off on the sections or one thing. This is just so badly done. Such a poor actor, too. Like, I, I, did, I thought the guy did a good job. But, like, the way that they embodied it in a person rather than in like a machine or something like that was just such a dumb idea that just didn't really work. So I didn't say that that's no good. All right. Jet Reno. I'm not a big fan of Jet Reno. No. Like the deadpan stuff is kind of funny, but it was always so like ill timed. Mm -hmm. I heard that during the battle there, like she had to like run to engineering or something and she made some like comment and as she's like walking with triple shoes, Oh, sir, sorry. I mean, sir. Yeah. Right? Like, it was so, like, like how was she, like, a member of Starfleet? Like, wouldn't some, know. like, some captain, like, like whip her into shape by then? Like, how was, like, what, what's her rank? Like, how long has she been around? I don't know. I didn't really love Reno. I think that, like, one of the problems with, I, and I think that Tignatar was a funny person. Like, I've seen her stand up and stuff like that, but... This is just not really the humor that kind of like lands in Star Trek. It's almost like they were no. trying to get like somebody who was kind of hit for the time or something, and it just doesn't really work. I'm gonna go with Hatem for Reno. What about you? Yeah, that, that was not a fan. All right, number one. Okay, what, what's with this whole like number one thing? Like, remember that last scene where that like faceless admiral is like questioning everyone, and they're like, "What's your name?" And she's like, "Number one." Mm-hmm. Like. No, it isn't. It's no, stupid. that's kind of dumb. Like they kind of played up that whole number one thing like way too much. Because in the, I think in the cage they just refer to Major Barrett as number one. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of like how Picard calls Riker number one. Yeah. Like it's the first officer. Yeah. That's not exactly. like her name. 
No, exactly. They just went way too... And like when she first shows up in the first episode, well, why don't you look over there, number one? Well, number one, what do you think? Number one, what do you have to say about that? Like, number one, like, it's almost like they're, like... It's like the Easter egg thing again. They're, like, winking and, like, nudging you, but, like, pushing you over. Like, get it? Do you get it? It's like from that episode of, un, like, the unaired pilot. Like, who cares? This stuff is stupid. Like... I, and, and uh, yeah, I hate it, number one. I, yeah, I, I think that it was like one of those things where they could have probably just given her like a little bit of a story, given her a name and stuff like that. And I think I read somewhere that like there's actually a point where he actually mentions her name. Like he's going to move over to the thing. Like that was like from the novels or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I don't know. Like, what did she do? She came and ate a hamburger and you didn't see her for like the whole season. Yeah, I, I, and I thought that she just was way too sarcastic. It was just not good. Uh, so it's a hate? That's a definite, definite hate. All right, and the last one that I had on my kind of list was Admiral Cornwall. I was so glad that she died. <laughs> that tells just, like, she just like kept popping back up for no reason. She's got that plot, then, plot drive in her ship as well. Yeah, and then like they just sort of decided... Because of convenience of the plot, that like, oh, we're also gonna say that she's like a counselor as well. Like that never came up at all during the rest of uh, the show. Like it just didn't make, really make a whole lot of sense, and I just thought it was just silliness. So you're gonna go with hate? Yes. So we actually end up with the same exact score. So the love, my lovers are Pike, Saru. Culber and Non, and yours are Pike, Saru, Sarek, and Non. So I guess maybe that maybe they need to make a series with just those four, uh, four <laughs> people, and then uh, then there we'd have it. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting, and maybe you correct me if I'm wrong, but every series has a crew of like seven to nine people. Yep. Depending on whatever. And maybe somebody leaves, comes, whatever. Um, there's a ton of people. So, like, I didn't mention o- Ojuma. Do you like her? Oh, all the, like, pointless bridge crew people. Like, Kyla, Kyla Detmer and Ojaba and, like, uh, Reese and stuff. They're nobodies. Yeah, but they are in a lot of the episodes. Yeah, but we see their face whenever there's, like, a, a perilous situation, the look of fear on their face. Like, we get a flash of each one, and then that's it. Yeah, so I guess what I'm saying is, would you prefer it if you had just, like, the seven guys, and they were just the ones that you had, and those were going to be the, the the characters, and they actually was more, like, episodes, like, this is a Tilly episode, this is a Detmer episode, this is a Burnham episode. Would you like that better, or is this, is this best when there's, like, 50 different people? Well, if you're going to do the ensemble cast with, like, 30 different people, you have to use them effectively. You know, that's hard to do, man. There's only 14 episodes. Well, exactly. So maybe that's not the best <laughs> choice to, to go with. Yeah. If you only have 14 episodes, why are you going to have 16 characters? Well, there's a lot of characters. I, it's That's very true. Okay. So you 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 like it better this way is what you're saying? Well, I think it's more suitable. If you have a short season, like, why are you going to have this, like, giant long list of, you know, characters that you have to, like, work into... Everything. Yeah. And that was kind of another complaint from season was, was like the, the bridge crew, like nobody really got to know them. So then like Pike, when he first shows up there, let's hear your names. And like, that's all we get. Like you never really see much more about them or hear about them ever again. Well, like I said, like you, the only other time you see them is like, 
oh no, the Section 31 fleet has come out of warp and just like it flashes to each of them and like the look of horror on their face, but then that's it. Yeah, and they all decided to go with Michael Burnham. They all wrote those diaries. So what? <laughs> well, so what? They, it means nothing. Like we, they, yeah. they, they're, they're just like faces on the bridge. Like they're, they're no different than any generic ensign that sat at the con on the Enterprise D. Yeah, it's just the same person every time. Yeah. it's But you know what? It's like, you remember Jet Reno? She goes to like the sick bay and she tells him like, you know what? I was married and she died and I was gay and all this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, that's like the stuff that you would find out over the course of like seven years throughout a show. Like you'd get like all these little pieces. You'd learn little bits. Of stuff. You, they, they, she just like says it like in three seconds, like in between. Like that would be a whole episode in an old one, right? But this is now like just a transition scene. Where she's at sick bay, like that's kind of my maybe problem with discovery. I think those bridge crew people need better agents. Maybe because maybe. this like Jet Reno character just like waltzes in off of like a wrecked starship, and all of a sudden she's more well, like we know more about her than all four of those bridge crews combined. Yeah, true. So like, <laughs> we still haven't met the chief medical officer as or well, or the chief engineer, or the chief engineer, and you would think that wouldn't they be at the like meetings like if they were gonna have like a senior staff meeting on a sensible written show yes they of course they would and it's not even like discovery is big like it's very small like tilly is at the meeting but the chief medical officer is not or the chief engineer i I don't know what to say okay well as long as we're on the same uh as long as we're on the same page yes we are on the same page um, let's uh, just quickly run through some interesting production notes over the course of the, uh, the season. Uh, the showrunners, uh, at one point, uh, Gretchen Borg and Aaron Harbarts were fired. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was partly due to them spending way too much money in the early episodes. And I believe it was also because there was some problems with writers being poorly treated. Um, you can definitely tell there's a big like switch around like middle like the quarter of the season way where you can tell that they like start to try to like backpedal on some things that they were like setting up. Um, one of the other things that I read too was that like they had talked about this was going to be um, a season that looked at science and faith. Remember that was like all over the news, but then that was like gone. Like they never mentioned it again. That's definitely not what it's about. So no, maybe originally it was going to be about that, and they just, like, they canned it. Yeah, there was the New Eden was the... Faith, faith part. First, yeah, well, there's some science in there, too, and that was it. Yeah, but they said the season, not one episode. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that, they basically, it was basically one episode. That right. Well, then they tried to, like, backtrack it, too, because later on somebody said, well, when we said that it was going to explore science and faith, what we actually meant we were going to look at changing patterns and how things are connected, like, because those are the same. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, anyway. There's also kind of talk that Anson Mount was kind of trouble on set. Did you read that? From what I have read, I think that was just way overblown. Okay, but wasn't it another problem with the writers? I don't know about that. I know there was that whole physical altercation thing, but I think really he was just like rehearsing like his gestures and like accidentally like bonk someone in the face or something. Oh, okay. I, I kind of read some different things as well. Now... They've had different showrunners. They've had different, like, you kind of hear all these, like, it just, is is Discovery, 
like the black sheep like does it really have all these problems or do people just love this kind of like gossipy stuff because i also read that like there's problems with merchandising there's no action figures there's no trending on twitter there's no um like think about how many action figures they made for like even like deep space nine and enterprise and bathrobes and hats and shoes and all this stuff and like they don't really make anything for discovery i mean i mean i go to comic shops and stuff all the time i never see any of that kind of stuff well, I think we live in a different world. Um, I, I think if you really dig deep enough, you'll find that the other Star Trek series had their problems as well behind Probably the scenes. And, but the only re- difference is in 1997, uh, we didn't have Twitter. We didn't have the internet as it is now. So if, if someone... You know, if something happens on the set, you aren't necessarily going to hear about it the next day or the right. next week or years next later. Year. Maybe. You might hear about it ten years or fifteen years down the road. True. So I, I think I don't know that. I think it's hard to know definitively that this has actually been any better or worse uh, as far as creative problems or clashing people on set or what have you. I don't know how you can really compare because we live in a much different world. Yeah, I mean, that's very true. I think that it's it's hard to know, but you, you, you read stuff and then you do see things, right? Like the fans put a big backlash about like the holograms, the Klingon hair, the can and stuff. And then like, then you start to see them like trying to fix it, right? Like, I mean, people hated Next Generation when it first came out, but I felt like it wasn't like they started pandering to what people were looking for. They kind of found their footing. They found their way. Whereas this is like very obvious. Like people hated the holograms. So then Pike makes a line about how holograms are getting taken out of the ships. Uh, people hated the Kling- the bald Klingons. So then they make a line about how Klingons shave their heads in times of war. Uh, people hated the cannon problem. So they do this thing at the end where they make a pact never to talk about the discovery ever again. Like... Did you think that this was like this fixed all the mistakes and you were like, awesome, it's perfect now? Or did you feel like this was just a reaction to fan backlash? Well, it's again, we live in a different world. I mean, if you hated Next Generation, like, what's your recourse? Well, write a letter. Well, do you think they're going to sit there and read through like 2,000? That's how they that's how they got back Beverly Crusher. Yeah, but it's much different when you're getting like a hundred thousand tweets a day saying this stinks. You need to fix it, right? <laughs> true, very because true. because Twitter is very quick and very you know to the point. If you it, you can go through a hundred thousand tweets probably faster than you can go through ten thousand letters. True, person like it's it's very easy for fans to make their voice heard nowadays versus. 25 years right but like as a creative writer should you just be like listening to fans writing in and changing your entire thought based on like dot democracy of it well if you're a confident creative writer probably not if you're trying to sell a show to a very passionate fan base i think maybe you have to consider it right and that's definitely Um, what i think happened right because i think if if, if you're gonna provoke the fans that strongly then you're probably not Doing, doing something wrong right very true so um so just kind of last couple of things here uh they tied in the short treks this year so there's those four short treks right one was about um is that he the here meeting poe one was about uh, the time crystal or no i guess with hud mud i didn't really tie into anything one was in the future and one was Saru setting up Kaminar. 
Yeah. Um, so just kind of give, talk about the, the short tracks. How did this season compare to season one? And what are your hopes and wishes for season three? Uh, I thought the tie-ins, the short tracks were pretty, they were okay. Um, I guess the Calypso one is... Yet to be seen. Yet, yeah. It's going to be kind of interesting to see how or why they end up ditching the ship and leaving it for a thousand years. Yeah. Because I guess they still have to do that. Um, well, not if they jump, if they jump 900 years, then that's when that was, right? Well, I thought there was some speculation that I've seen that maybe Calypso was a thousand years after the 900. Oh, okay. Jump. So 1800 years. Yeah. But I don't okay. know. We'll have to wait and find out because I'm, it's not really clear. Um, how it compared to season one, I would say it was maybe marginally better, but generally still not that great. Okay. And I don't even really know where... For season three, I, I don't really know. Okay. I just um, hope it's better. Right. I think that uh, the, the tie-ins with the short treks was nice. I think that it was better than season one. Again, not by a whole bunch, but definitely a step in the right direction. Me, for season three, what I want to do is just do a reset. So basically take however long it needs to be. doesn't matter. Go ask people, what do you want this show to be like? What do you want it to look like? How do you want it to be? And then just do whatever they say. And just see what it looks like. Make it snakes on a plane. I don't care. But I do not want like another 14 episode story arc that ends up with like a 40 minute laser fight. Because that is just not Star Trek to me. I want to have like seven people. I want episodes based around those people. I want all the canon nonsense and the uniforms and all that crap completely scrapped. Make something new. Make something fresh. Uh, you know, if people hate certain characters, get rid of them. Uh, if they like certain ones, keep them. But I think that, like, yeah, there's there's just not enough here to really make it to make it like super enjoyable. And like I said, first two seasons you get a free pass. Um, but next season, I'm expecting big, big things. Okay, uh, we're just going to zip through the episodes, and you're going to tell me, Matt, warp speed or impulse speed? Warp speed is obviously the episode was great. Impulse speed means it was a stinker. All right, the first one, Brother, the series premiere. Oh, I thought this was a trick question because they all move at warp speed. <laughs> that is truly true. <clears throat> uh, brother, I don't know, impulse speed. Okay, I'm going to go warp speed. I was bought in on episode one. I don't think that it was super, super great, but it was exciting to see Pike get introduced and that kind of stuff. That was okay. Uh, New Eden, that's the one with the time, old-timey church in the village. Definitely warp speed. Like That, to me, was the best episode of the season. Well, maybe not the best, but certainly the most Star Trek-y. Yes, I liked New Eden, and we have to go there, too. It's just outside of Niagara Falls, actually. That's, that's true. Okay, Point of Light, the one with Tyler and Laurel's secret baby. Is there anything slower than impulse speed? Like, this <laughs> one was still. terrible. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan of this one, either. I, that whole secret baby thing. But, you know, this is like, the only Klingon episode, which, again, was a reaction to the fans not liking the Klingons for the first season. But yeah, there's a pointless fight scene as well. Oh, awful. Okay, an Orbal of Sharon. This is the one with the giant sphere, Saru's near death, and Tilly beating Nick. Mm, impulse. Yeah, I don't really remember this one. When I was writing them out, it didn't really jump to me. And I feel like it was kind of that, the part where I was like, let's find Spock. I'm sick of this. <laughs> uh, okay, next one up is Saints of Imperfection. This is the one with the mycelial uh, network. And this is when Culver comes back. Uh, impulse speed. Okay. I'm going to go Warp Speed for that one. I didn't think that it was a good episode. Um, I thought that being in the mycelia thing was kind of annoying, but I did. I was glad to see 
Uh, Culper come back, so uh, that was okay, and I thought that it could lead to somewhere good. It didn't, but it could. Uh, okay, next up, Sounds of Thunder. This is the one with Saru's home planet with the Ba'ul. I'll uh, go warp speed. Okay. The whole Ba'ul looking like Armus was kind of cheese ball, but otherwise it was, it was pretty good. I'm going impulse speed. I had my all my hopes up for this predator prey like uh, National Geographic episode, and when I didn't get it, I was super disappointed. Uh, okay, lights and shadows—the one where they find Spock. Uh, that's probably gonna be an impulse speed. I like, come on, they find he's like holed up in a basement. Like, come, give me a break. <laughs> so the uh, the whole dyslexia thing is also revealed in this one, which I never really thought was great. Um, and they were hiding them, and Seraph was going to, like, turn them over to Section 31, and Section 31 had, like, the brain eraser and stuff. I did not like this one. Impulse speed. Uh, if memory serves, that's the one with the Telosians. Uh, the warp speed. It was... I, I liked what they did with the Telosians, and I kind of liked the planet that they put mm-hmm. put it on, too. It was kind of kind of neat. Yeah, this was the best episode in terms of, like, it didn't meddle with anything. It kind of made a good connection between the original series and this series, so I thought it was good. Uh, Project Daedalus. This is the one with Arium's backstory, and she dies. No, impulse. <laughs> yeah, they didn't earn it, right? Like, that's the problem, is they just well, tried to patch it together way too last minute. Build her up over the course of the season, not in the last, like, 30 minutes of her on-screen. Right, and she was married and stuff. Yeah, I didn't like it. Uh, the Red Angel, the one where they trapped the Red Angel. Uh, impulse. This is silliness. Uh, I kind of did like the reveal that it was the mom, but the whole episode leading up to it was kind of like just a big, you know, like again, just waiting, waiting, waiting. It's like watching a soap opera sometimes where like they only give you enough to get you to the next one and then they open up something fresh. Yeah, let's give, and let's give Burnham a reason to just like pretend to be in agony for like yeah. five minutes. Yeah, that's true. Like, give me a, no, that's no good okay perpetual infinity this is the one with burnham's mom and the control uh when control kind of becomes a big big thing uh that i think this is also going to be an impulse speed episode okay uh yeah me too i didn't really like the control stuff so when that happened and again i this i thought we were going to get all the answers to the red signals and when we didn't it was disappointing uh, through the Valley of Shadows. This is the one with Pike and the Time Crystals, which is at University of Toronto, Knox Hall. Total impulse, anything to do with this stupid Time Crystals, I have no time for. Yeah, I didn't really like that uh, the baby was like an adult, and uh, I felt like after they, like, again, it just kind of goes back to this whole thing, like, okay, you're going to give the suit. They had this special suit they worked their whole life to make. But then the time crystals is what's going to make it jump around and stuff. Eh, I didn't really love this one. Such Sweet Sorrow Part 1. This is basically the one leading up to Part 2. I'm going to give this one warp speed only because the Enterprise interiors were pretty sweet. Okay, good point. We didn't really talk about that at all. I will agree with you that the Enterprise interiors were pretty nice, and this is probably what they probably should have started with in terms of a show, like just do a Pike show. Um but that being said, it is isn't an episode. Nothing happens. Like they literally spend the entire time just making a plan, and you don't really get to do it. It's kind of like imagine Home Alone if the entire movie was just him drawing out the house and the traps that he was gonna do, uh, and you had to go see the sequel to see all the traps get sprung. So I'm going impulse speed here. So that episode was just Burn telling everyone what to do. It was like that, right? It was just kind of them <laughs> deciding what they're gonna do. Um, and then, uh, Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2. This is the one with the big battle. 
Um, that one was two Star Wars Episode Two like for me, so uh, Impulse Power. Yeah. This is maybe one of the worst finales to a Star Trek season ever, and I'm including like some of those really bad ones. Like this is worse than like Turnabout Intruder. Like this is awful. <laughs> like I was just I was literally sitting on my couch with my mouth agape. I couldn't believe that they actually decided to do an entire season finale that was just a laser battle. It's so far, it was so J.J. Abrams yep. that it was yep. just bothersome. All right, Matt, let's just give this a quick tally. You gave this 4 out of 14 for Warp Speed episodes, and I gave it 1, 2, 3, 4 out of 14. You know what? At least we are in the same mindset because <laughs> that's back-to-back where we both are paired up. So um, before we kind of put a, a bow on this one, give me your uh, favorite episode or your most memorable episode. If you have a favorite quote or anything like that or a favorite scene, give me that as well. And then your final thoughts, give me a rating out of five Red Angels. Uh, my favorite episode was New Eden. Uh, that was... Probably the most Star Trekky episode they've done so far. That was to me, that was like sort of the height of it for me, and that was episode two. So um, go figure. I, I I can't really think of any lines or, or quotes that I that stood out to me when I think of like things that stick stick in my mind. Like all I can think of is Burnham bawling her eyes out every other episode. So um, what's your score? I don't know. I'm really torn between like really digging into it and giving it like one or two. Mm-hmm. So mm, I think I will err on the side of generosity just because it was better than season one. So I'll, I'll give it two out of five Red Angels. All right. My favorite episode was If Memory Serves. That was the one where they showed that little snippet of uh, the cage, which just made me want to go and watch that rather than watch the episode I was watching. But then I was pleasantly surprised because this was kind of we got rid of the delusional spark and the Telosians were pretty good. I don't really remember. I think this is the one where Pike and um, Ash Tyler like go and like shoot like they grab like a probe from the future or something and it's got like tentacle arms and it's totally crazy and it was just awful. It was like kind of the, you know, the Finn Rose side plot of uh, Star Wars Last Jedi where it just made no sense and it was completely sideways. But other than that, it was my favorite episode. And so um, I'm going to give it, uh, you know what, last season I was really disheartened. This season I thought that it was a little bit better. I'm going to give it two out of five Red Angels as well. All right, I think that's about all the time we have to talk about uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 2. What we're going to do now that the season is over, we're going to uh, take all the episodes from Discovery Season 2 and we are going to place them with all the other episodes in the Star Trek Discovery Black Badge Section 31 Snapback Cap available at shop.startrek.com and they will be available to be drawn with our regular Random Trek Review episodes. That's true. This is the first time this has happened where we have actually had to put episodes in. This is uh, this is like a new beginning. We've got them all laid out here. They're all nicely folded. So uh, why don't we do that right now? It'll be kind of ceremonial if we just Place them in the cat with all the rest of the hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Yep, we'll be adding 14 brand new episodes. And I have a good suspicion I'll be able to remember these ones if they get pulled. Yeah, maybe. They're, they'll be fresh in our minds if we uh, we pull any of them out 
with our regular Random Trek Review podcasts. Definitely at uh, Random Trek Review at blogspot.com, right? That's right. Yep, that's where you can uh, find all of this uh, excellent uh, Star Trek related content. So that's it. We're going to wrap things up. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on this special bonus edition of Random Trek Review, and we hope you'll join us next time when we uh, randomly discuss a random episode. Indeed. Bye, everybody.